Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here to continue our set of season reviews for the Ravens 2023. And we're going to talk about the running back room, uh, their performance in 2023, what we're hoping for in 2024, etc. And joining me to have that discussion is Jim Zipcode, the artist formerly known as Jim Zipcode and currently known as Jim Zipcode. Still known as Jim Zipcode. Great, Ken. How are you? Life is good. Uh, always a pleasure to talk football with you, Jim. I know we're in for a, a, a lot of fun when we do. Uh, I think the biggest question for, for this running back group this year was exactly how important they were going to be to the Ravens offense uh, with, with Todd Monken coming in, a switch away from some of the super heavy sets that Roman had employed uh, in his final year where the Ravens receiving room had broken down significantly with injuries, but the, the, the response was some of the heaviest sets you've ever seen on a football field. Uh Monken, though, really retained large portions of the Ravens' um, playbook and run success. That's kind of what was promised from him, right? When Harbaugh said that he wanted a guy who was not tied to a particular system, uh, was not particularly a West Coast guy or whatever, but who would be flexible with his personnel, you know, Munkin walked into a situation with uh, excellent running personnel, kind of unproven passing personnel. And he, you know, really, I guess the ask was always to combine what the Ravens already did well while upgrading kind of to a, to a more space oriented passing attack. And that's what he did. Yeah, isn't isn't that something to really credit John Harbaugh for? I mean, oh, Harbaugh totally. built, built, built the staff and, and, and brought these people in, expects them to, to, to basically include the organizational culture and understanding that they had. I mean, really, culture is so – I'm thinking of like how whales learn culture to knock seals off ice, like orcas mm-hmm. do. do yeah. that. that's, that's culture. But, but, the, but, I, but in, in this case, I'm really talking about you know, just remembering what this team does well already. Uh, and 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 what they you know what the current players know how to do well already. I think Monken did do a very good job of that in terms of being able to close out games, run the ball quite effectively when the when the other team knew it was coming. In particular, you talked about crediting Harbaugh. I know a lot of people. I see this a lot on the RSR forums. A lot of people want to say, well, if if Munkin is calling the offensive plays and McDonald's calling the defensive plays, what exactly Harbs? What would you say you do here, Bob? And uh, I think that that's, you know, kind of overstated. I mean, when, when a guy hires everybody on the staff, you don't ding him for the staff being great. You know, that's actually a credit to him. That's not a demerit to him. Yeah. And, and, and or the fact that the staff leaves is not a demerit to him. He grew great coaches. Would you rather he grew bad coaches and they had to be right. fired? Would you right. gr- rather he grew average coaches that no one else was interested in, but the Ravens right. would retain? Best possible outcome. You say goodbye to a few coaches because they're horrific, you know, unbelievably successful. And you and you go, oh, my God, we've got to fire Harbaugh because this guy, this guy right. is the guy we really need. 
Right. Yeah. yeah, it's a little crazy. And also, it's not as if the Ravens organization has been anything less than a gushing pipeline of defensive coordinators for yeah. 25 years. You know, there's no I mean, uh, I admire what Mike McDonald has done the last two years. And he's been talked about as such a genius and rising star for so long, you know, back when he was a linebackers coach, that I'm sure it's true that he's a wizard. But I find it hard to believe that he is the Jenga piece that is going to, like, collapse the coaching staff, you know? It's a, that's an interesting point you made. And, and certainly what Harbaugh did with McDonald, sending him back effectively to, to serve an internship or an apprenticeship as a defensive coordinator at Michigan and then come back I call to it his job in Baltimore. I call it his semester abroad at Michigan. Semester abroad. There you go. That's a good one. <laughs> I like that. Um, let's get back to the running backs here. The yeah. offseason turmoil in the running back market generally, of which J.K. Dobbins found himself folded into. Now, Dobbins – some wittingly, okay, that's that's the wrong thing. It's all wittingly, I'm sure. Some some by his own doing, and otherwise by I think being pressured by other players in the NFLPA to basically you know contribute to the Zoom call, try and figure out how running backs can increase their value, try and negotiate among themselves to to make sure nobody took a under market market value i'm using that word right. contract for a running back to uh uh you know to to, to support the others uh, he was you know, obviously very unhappy had this hold in that occurred that caused a lot of obvious frustration on the part of harbaugh during camp when he would continually get asked questions about when is when is jk dobbins going to be able to play and it wasn't injury related but harbaugh can't really say that <laughs> You know, he it's, has to basically says you're gonna have to ask JK kind of thing. It's a difficult intersection, right? Of of uh, uh, market turbulence and Dobbins' own experience with injury and Dobbins' status is going into his contract year. Like he, uh, you can certainly understand him being reluctant to play a lot in preseason after his experience in in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, going into his contract year, <laughs> do you ever, <laughs> there are some times where you work so hard to prevent something that you cause it. Yep. And it seemed to me that he worked, he was so diligent in making sure that he did not get injured in worthless preseason games that I wonder if he was physically ready to play football in game one. He, he you know, was injured after eight carries. I, I don't, I don't want to tag him with that i'll just say unfortunate yeah. set of circumstances yeah. What, what, yeah whatever efficient frontier of of amount of preseason play and amount of regular season play that he was he wasn't early. even practicing like i would be yeah. fine with holding him out of games but he wasn't practicing it's you know at some point he's got to get on the field to have value to the baltimore ravens so the, if the if eight carries in the first game is the end of his season because he's really not not physically ready to play well. I I am a little bit upset, I guess. But yeah. I'm also thinking you couldn't have ramped him up any slower than they did. I mean, you know, no. how many how many carries you're going to give him in his first game when he's your your, you know, your feature guy. Um, the other thing I want to talk about this, which is kind of the other side of the coin of you know these more veteran running backs trying to you know establish a better market for themselves, a better yeah. you know system, is that the Ravens got exactly what they would have hoped to get out of the running back position this year, despite effectively going cheap. 
They didn't re-sign Dobbins to a long-term deal, and and honestly, at this point, thank goodness they did. Can't, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. And 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 now it's that's not in the cards. Now he may he may be able to come back on a one-year deal, or he may have to you know start start a new home. But they didn't they didn't even take a running back at all during the draft. They did sign up priority UDFA and Mitchell, who ended up obviously being the best back they had. For he was for a the, revelation. He was amazing. Yeah, absolutely great. In fact, I think the the play of him and and Achan is going to basically and Mostert for that matter is going to revolutionize speed. Revolutionize is the wrong word because people have always valued speed, but it's going to put such a premium on speed this year that there won't be UDFAs, even for like some of the smaller UDFA backs who are very fast. There's going to be a high premium on them, and 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 people trying to replicate what Mostert, Achan, and and Mitchell did for their teams. Yeah, so I've been on fire to find the next Keaton Mitchell since he went down with injury, the next Devon Achan. In my estimation, that is the missing ingredient in, in the Ravens' offense, their over-reliance on Lamar to create their rushing attack. Yep. And when you put an explosive guy next to him, defenses evaporated. There was nothing they could do you know, really to to effectively combat that. And... To hear you say that teams are going to prioritize that, like the market has changed, that's really dispiriting to me. Why weren't those guys priorities, you know, the Davon Archers, the Keaton Mitchells, why were they not priorities for the market in in the years leading up to now? Well, you know, A-Chan was somebody who was fairly highly ranked among the running backs, but there's not a lot of difference between him and, um, and Mitchell. And the primary difference was context. So... Uh, you know, basically Mitchell was being dinged for, for two significant factors. He's a, he's a little bit smaller than HN, I believe at five, eight and, and, uh, and, you know, a lighter framed guy. But, but the bigger thing was, you know, playing at coastal Carolina, he hadn't yeah. quite had the context of, of uh, big time football. And I think he had not played as well either in the games against the top teams. And I'm trying to remember because I really don't want to report that. He either had not played well against Cincinnati or Cincinnati had been the only team against he mm-hmm. played well that was either a power five or or a or a good, you know, opponent for for Coastal Carolina. Right. Yeah. So I don't remember which it was, but there there were questions about him, you know, not being as good against good opponents. But you know, you expect that. Your offensive line is going to have a harder time if you if you step up and you play a SEC opponent early in the year, late in the year, whenever it might be. And you know, you're, you're, you wouldn't expect your, your star running back to, to you know, have 220 yards in a game like that. No. Uh, you know, I, is Coastal the same school that Isaiah likely came from? Yes. So I wonder if they had some insight there, like, you know, scouting likely all of, you know, the year before. And I really like that running back kid. It could, it could be. The, the, big, the big thing with likely was he ran on that funny track that they had and he got a, a poor 40 time. Mm. And I, I I did wonder if Mitchell was running on the same track or if they changed it. So they, they, they might be running somewhere else. Cause that, they, there had been, I think complaints about the players who had been involved in that, that they had a, a something about the, about the composition of that. You would think it's all, you know, I don't think I'll build these all out of the same materials, right. damn it. But, right. but for whatever reason they, they ran on some sort of track where, where times were a little slower. That's that's funny, right? Because Isaiah likely plays to a speed completely different from what his yes. official 40 time suggests. Yeah, completely agree. Completely so 
So I was thinking that uh, running back was a sneaky need for the Ravens in this upcoming draft to get the next Devon Archer, the next Keaton Mitchell. And I want to say the next because I would love to have, you know, Keaton Mitchell, but there's no way I can trust that the Ravens should rely on him for game one or for the season, which is sad, but he's the guy I want. But as far as I'm concerned, he's not definitely available. So, but at the same time, when you talk about, you know, maybe the Ravens should draft a running back in, let's say, the third round or something like that, you're looking at a team that is aces at unearthing uh, undrafted free agent running backs that I've never heard of who turn out to be great. Gus Edwards is ridiculously good on his career, uh, and he's not at all the only one. You got two UDFAs, and Hill is a four, or is he a three? I I have to try to I think he's later than that, even. Okay. So anyway, he'll, he'll, you know, they didn't spend a premium pick on him. The only one that spent a premium pick on was Dobbins and he's been extremely good while he's been on the field, but obviously, uh, you know, as I think I'd probably have to say at this point, he was not worth the draft pick for his four years. And that's really a sad thing to have to say at the end of his four years with the Ravens, but having, I would say basically the production that they got from him was not remotely worth, which is not to say that like his, his talent is, you know, jumps off the screen at you when he's available. Uh, I, until he got hurt in game one, I would have called it merely unfortunate. Uh, now, you know, and this is, this is unfair as a fan, you know, sitting on my couch with like Dorito crumbs on my shirt front, watching games <laughs> to impugn the effort of a guy who's busting his ass to play. Right. But, but he, you know, he, he, popped a muscle in his first significant, you know, in his first playing time, you know, the whole, you know, he skipped all of practice. It's it's hard for me to believe that he was ready. And that, you know, if, if his injury in 2021 was a fluke and not his fault, which I fully believe, I don't necessarily feel the same way about this, this latest iteration. Okay. And and I'm not, I'm just not ready to tag him with that. If it, if it, if true, it's, it's unfortunate, but you know, he's, he's, going to end up paying the piper for it right uh, if that's the case i mean the ravens obviously had to pay in terms of this year but they're they're okay because the ravens are very good at at finding running backs and yeah they had a, a bunch of guys roll through who even though they weren't all producers in the in the run game uh did some things as receivers that were good yep. uh, uh you know if you if you want to talk about uh Kenyon drake even had one big play he also had a fumble uh and and uh uh, uh gordon had some big catches um, mm-hmm. one, uh, wasn't a great runner, but he had some great catches. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they got value out of their receivers. That is one of the big things with Monken came out of this year was the Ravens having good years from their running backs as receivers. We'll get into that in the individual players here. I think that, uh, so, uh, I, I'm always hesitant to get on the bash Greg Roman bandwagon. However, uh, Munkin's inclusion of running backs in the passing game is a distinct departure, a distinct difference from what was here before in terms of, you know, play calling and, and player usage. I agree with that. Um, I will say the one player who did not was not used as frequently as a as a as a player at all is Ricard. And and as a OK. Ricard played 37% of the snaps down from 64, I believe. And I have that in, in the individual paragraphs down here, the individual notes. Let me just go down to it real quickly. Yeah, he, he went from um, 64% of snaps in 22 to 39% in 23. Okay, obviously that's a big reduction 
in in playing time. It's almost half his playing time. It's also 25 percentage points, 25% of the plays where he would have been in last year, but he isn't in this year. The thing that Ricard gives you when he's on the field, even as an inline tight end, um, is he forces the defensive coordinator to react to that apparent personnel. And those are the guys in the huddle, not how they line up. So that's you, you, you don't know, know if Ricard's going to line up as a fullback or inline tight end, yep. what he's going to do motion-wise or whatever, but you have to react to him being on the field. Yep. If you want to threaten the run in the playoffs and get large because you think they're trying to come downhill at you, Ricard is an excellent guy to add in there, and then that actually make you know forces the other team to consider are they are they considering running the ball here, and if they do, are we properly defending this? The Chiefs being being kind of light uh, would have had to react to that. It would force Spagnola to make an adjustment to to what Monken was doing. I think the Ravens kind of lost a game of adjustments in part there, um, and and if I had to blame who's responsible in in order. Harbaugh would be last on my list, uh, but but I think Monken would be number one in terms of having not having the personnel on the field to do more running on some of the downs where it was still uh, an option. Yeah, and there were times where it weren't, and then I I, I would blame um, probably Lamar second because I checking out some ability to check out of plays exactly. Yeah, and, and and you know I I can't believe that they really called that many pass plays right out of the things where where you know plays where there are two two pass options or where there are RPOs where he's always passing instead of you know occasionally taking a run there because they you know oftentimes when the blitz comes they're actually giving you a good opportunity to um, run themselves out of position and so you you you, you uh, most teams the blitz is death to the run game but with Lamar Jackson and the ability to work for the mesh point you actually have a read that's available to you out of that and then still the chance of escapability that will allow you to get off a pass so it's not a it's not a it's not death in the same way it is if you've ever played any kind of tabletop football game from the 1970s and my game of choice was sports illustrated football is also named as, known as Peter okay okay and 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 the not tecmo no, was it? Well, that's that is from the 1980s. This is from the 1970s oh, okay. for me, so okay. I have to go. I have to go back a little further. But it, the the game is a lot of fun, and I played tons of games with with uh, with my best friend growing up. And the uh, the thing that that would show up a lot is there were only six defenses, and the first one was the standard defense was a four four three. So the standard <laughs> defense was was having three defensive backs on the field. So that in itself was kind of funny. But the but then the um, when you blitzed on on defense, which was one of the choices. Um, that had a, it was it was very tough on the running game. There was a chance for a big negative play, and uh, and the, and the offense couldn't really do anything about it. And otherwise, you might end up giving them an extra yard on top of their run kind of thing. But uh, not to go too deep into this, hell of a fun game if you can find it out there. Peter <laughs> is, is is the name. It's probably out there on eBay with some uh, with some charts from the from the early seventies is when I had it. I it's. I have tried very hard not to go too much into the conference championship game. Um, but it seems from a distance, uh, which is really the only way I can stand <laughs> that game is to be removed from it from a distance. But it does seem as if they game planned to throw in that game. Yeah. I, I And it threw kind of into the teeth of where the, where the, the strength was. They have a, a pass rush that's in a lot of ways similar to the Ravens, opportunistic at getting home with good coverage, and they have three cornerbacks who can certifiably be sticky. Uh, and 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 you're kind of allowing the strongest players on the uh, on the opposing team, who are Jones and the three corners, dictate how you you played offense. And that was it was not a good 
it was not a good result for the Ravens. They needed to, they needed to make adjustments to get out of that. And I, it is it is the biggest it is the biggest place, and it's it's you know it's almost not surprising in a way that Monken doesn't get hired after a game like that. I I, I didn't really expect it to happen anyway, just because he's not a dynasty building head coach. Right, right. But given given what happened in the game, I, I you know I think he's he's the guy who I think probably deserves the most. Um, you know. I think that that's I think that that's right, and, and you can't. It's almost as if so. Usually, you go into a game plan against a formidable opponent, and you match your strength to their weakness. Right. Attack them where yeah. But I almost feel as if the Ravens organization thought finally we get to the playoffs with excellent options in the receiving game. You know, a, a, a pass intelligent. That's not what I want to say, but a, a, an accomplished passing offensive coordinator. You know, this is finally our year to throw it on these guys and we can match them. You know, so I, I think that I expect that that thought was somewhere in the background as they game planned for this matchup. And then uh, Mahomes and Kelsey punched him in the mouth early. Like if you mm-hmm. thought, you had to be afraid after those first two Chiefs possessions. Oh my God, I'm in a shootout. Yep. Um, it's fascinating to see. Like I, I think game in and game out this season, all the way through the divisional round, Munkin by and large called excellent games. Um, so it is weird to see a game that I'm pretty sure Greg Roman would have won. It's a it's a reasonable chance. I mean, if you, you you're trying to get 17 points in that game and you have a guy who can, yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, I mean, like, there's no doubt that he would have Ricard on the field. I mean, we would have seen more three tight ends. I mean, you talk about a guy who likes to go heavy, and yep. I mean, he, he would drool going into a matchup where the opponent's weakness is defending the run. It's that's just so odd to be in a stance where you've you've really evolved beyond like an old playbook and old style of play but then you get to this game and oh man i wish we still you know did that so ironic even well i think the reason the chiefs were 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 such a formidable opponent is is threefold first of all they they had mahomes and you and you always got to fear that um but the, the second and third reason are the offensive and defensive coordinators and the ability and obviously that's andy reed on calling the plays on offense and and spagnolo um, those guys are just great adjusters, and you know it's it's it becomes a difficult uh, task for the for the Ravens to to figure that out. Uh, I, I did what? Uh, go ahead. I, I, go I got to move on here. Yeah. Okay. So 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 we got. I got gotta more think. to say, but yeah, let's yeah. definitely get off it. It's too depressing. Uh, you know they've had thirty three games now consecutively above the Fangio line, the hundred yards, and it's it's kind of sad that that did actually end in the playoffs if you count postseason, and of course. The Ravens statistics will not count postseason <laughs> next right. year for that particular uh, uh, end, and they 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 still have a chance to continue it. But uh, really nice to see that Monken was able to continue to 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 put forth a really big rushing offense, even running with some lighter personnel. It was interesting to see uh, when he was hired. I went back and looked at uh, on YouTube. There's some cutups of offense only of the. Uh, games that his Georgia teams played in the final four the previous two years. Mm -hmm. And there's an interesting game against Alabama, which I thought was really reward, really uh, informative because, you know, the, the other games, his offense was, you know, piling it on. I think he scored 60 in a game. I mean, not him, the Georgia offense scored 60 in a game, but they went into the game against Alabama and 
Nick Saban was ready for that shit and they shut it down. And uh, I think the first several possessions, maybe they had negative yards, they punted. And it was interesting to watch the, the process. It looked as if Munkin decided, all right, let's go back to basics. We will run the ball. We will gain three yards, but we will get our offensive linemen back on their feet, you know, like stop being overwhelmed. They'll start hitting again and then we'll hit some play action and then we'll, you know, and it's a, it's a, uh, it, it made me think of Ravens games against the Steelers, you know, where you come into the game and you've got your fancy shit all primed to go and lo and behold, it does not work. And you kind of go back to basics and you become physical again and you eked out a win and to, and he did eke out that win. And to me, that was, the most impressive game, the most promising in terms of competing at the NFL level, and it showed tactical flexibility, which I wanted to see. And so I, and and we did see that right, like at week one against Houston, when they were um, really giving the Ravens fits in, in the pass rush. Uh, I Munkin brought in Pat Ricard, whom I thought would not have a role in his offense, and Ricard stabilized the pass protection, and they go on to win that game, and and. So, so I'm trying to agree with you, right? Like his 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 ability to shift into the run is was well shown all year. We, you know, in in the divisional round against the Houston Texans, they had marvelous adjustments at halftime yep. to do this. And of course, the question is, why couldn't you adjust other than at halftime? You know, yep. kind of thing. Well, it's it's a, it, there's maybe a little bit more to it than that, but. Let's go and talk about some individual players here because yeah. hey, that's what we're here to do. Gus Edwards, uh, now an undrafted, sorry, now a unrestricted free agent. Yeah, uh, still an undrafted free agent, I guess, uh, from, yeah. from a long time ago. It was one of the big questions um, uh, coming into this year was whether or not Gus would be would succeed with a lighter offense. Now he's he's been a guy in particular that really benefited from uh, running with a heavy point of attack offense that got him a lot of first contact in level two opportunities. Edwards yes. been a good yards after contact guy uh, for his career, in particular on the inside, in particular. He was still extremely good year in terms of his success rate, um, despite lower average yards. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I think another thing that was interesting was his uh, he prior to this year had had some fluky value in the passing game, you know, like one 30 yard gain or whatever with low target share. Uh, but he delivered pretty consistent value in the passing game uh, this this season. Um and I'm trying to remember one particular play. I think it was against the Niners where Lamar kind of broke the pass rush and uh, one, had one linebacker. And it was almost a triangle, right? The linebacker and Lamar and Gus. And Lamar widened to pull the linebacker and flip the pass to Gus for a big gain. And I think that that showed – that exemplified something that was kind of visible all season, which was that Gus and Lamar have – experience together chemistry together they read each other well you know when when justice hill early was fumbling those mesh point option handoffs gus was rock solid on them he's been doing them with lamar since 2018 uh i i i cannot say enough good things about gus edwards partially because when i saw him in 2018 i thought that's just another guy and he became a just a tremendous player yeah, completely agree. And and uh, in terms of receiving, I'm looking at the game where he had the 80 yard catch because that was his big one this year. Right. Uh, and when was that? Come on, Edwards, where are you here? Yeah. There he is. Okay, so the 80 yard play was against Detroit, 
uh, any, any one catch. But this year, Edwards caught 12 of 13 balls for 13.8 yards per target. That is an unbelievable number, by the way. Yeah. Um, and and career now, he's had, I think it's like 37 targets in his Ravens career. He's at 10.1 yards per target. He's actually, and I, I just tweeted this today, the highest yards per target with 30-plus targets, in fact, with 20-plus targets for that matter, um, in Ravens history at 10.1. Uh, and, and the guys behind him, it's an interesting set of cats uh, when, you, when, you, when you go back. It is Sammy Watkins at 9.5. Derek Alexander, who, if you remember the 96 and 97 Ravens, you're an incredible Derek player. Alexander, great player uh, at 9.1. And Kelly Washington, who was with the 2010 team, I believe, came from New England. Might have been 2011, but it's one of those two seasons. And was a great special teams player who came in and was a big third down target. High success rate receiver yep. um, who converted a lot of first downs on, on that play and obviously had a big year in terms of, of, of yards per target. But he's only with the Ravens, I believe, for that one year. I'm still stuck on Gus. I, I, I've often thought that he could have had an Arian Foster-like career had he been paired with an offense coordinator who believed in a in a workhorse running back rather than a rotation. And if he didn't, you know, when, when a guy's an undrafted free agent, it is hard to um, ditch that past, you know, that stigma. I think the Ravens always thought maybe they had guys more talented than Gus and that they should give those guys more of a chance rather than just let Gus have the ball. He, uh, you know, he had a lot of carries in his time at Rutgers. So yeah. it, it, it was, uh, he came with a fair amount of tread wear. I think the Ravens, I would take the counter argument to this. So he had 350 college rushing attempts um, and he had another, another 16 receptions. That's, I guess that's not too terribly much. I mean, it's, it's, it's moderate. It's not super high. Um, but I, I think the Ravens actually did him a favor um, in terms of keeping his carries down. I think the three-headed monsters that the Ravens have generally had during the entire Lamar era, it matters less about who the other backs are than it matters who Lamar is. Right. And 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 since you've got a you've got a, a you know a committee of backs, you really reduce both your reliance on any part of them. You can go to specific stylistic types that you want to to run various option plays out of that whether you want to run wide and run Lamar up the middle whether you want to run out of pistol with Gus or Mark Ingram at the time in 2019 and and have Lamar be the outside threat um you, you can you just do a lot of different things if you have different stylistic fits and, and you, you're very well served by having those guys play less and be fresher I believe um yes so I think I, do, I don't question the strategic usefulness of having a stable of backs of different styles uh i'm just thinking specifically and very narrowly about you know what gus's pfr page might have looked like had you know he played on the texans for gary kubiak um but so the ravens did him a favor right not only by using him but also by like he wasn't on anybody's radar in 2018 sure. as a priority free agent or anything like that so they identified him gave him his nfl opportunity you know recognized the talent there was i got into an argument with somebody today on twitter about whether he was underutilized i shouldn't say i got into an argument because i i agreed with him 100% but now that i think about it like it the the, the choice wasn't whether Gus had, you know, his 800-yard seasons or he had 1,500-yard seasons, the choice is really between Gus having his seven or 800-yard seasons and not having an NFL career at all. And from that standpoint, the Ravens absolutely, you know, served him very well. 
Yeah, they they did, and and you know they were fortunate in a sense that nobody else had him figured out either as being a real valuable running back. I, honestly, I didn't think his preseason in 2018 was that great that anyone could attack. But the Ravens cut him. I mean, he was on the practice squad for a while, and then he came came back at midseason, and all of a sudden, he and Lamar are the are the greatest tandem you'll ever see down the stretch. Yeah. And uh, and that was really something. And of course, he he has been one of the most consistent backs in NFL history in terms of, of, you know, exactly what you're getting from him year after year in terms yep. of, of success rate uh, yards per carry dropped a little bit this year, but he'd been a remarkable consistent high yards per carry uh, producer in Roman's point of attack offense. R- running backs have gotten better when they've been with the Ravens. Gus got better. Justice Hill noticeably got better. He was not the player last year and this year that he had been when he was drafted. He's a better player now. Uh, I don't know if Keaton Mitchell got better. He certainly emerged. You know, it's 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 nice to see players improve year over year at certain positions. Uh, It's it's the kind of thing that gives you maybe a little bit more faith. You know, if it were shaken in a coaching staff, it's the kind of thing that inclines one, I think, to to have some faith. Do you want to break some news? Uh, Go ahead. Uh, I just got uh, so we're recording on Thursday night, which is the night of the NFL honors, the NFL awards show. And and certain someone has just become a two-time MVP, uh, just officially announced, long suspected. This, but this will be breaking about a week after it's happened when this when the show actually posts. So you'll forgive Jim's okay. enthusiasm right now. But that's all, all right. Well, you heard it here first, everybody. Lamar was just named MVP. <laughs> all right. Well, great stuff. I, and I'm glad to hear it. And I I, I appreciate you uh, you informing me in real time. I'm glad to hear that. Did they did they announce it was unanimous or not? I don't know. My stepdaughter just texted me off off to the side. That's okay. how I saw it. Very good. I'd, I I would love if it were unanimous, but it probably will not be based yeah. on you know some of the division over over things that went on here. Uh, I guess we saw some pony looks from Edwards this year. I thought one of the interesting things that Monken tried to do was has him be one half of a two back combination where he was effectively used as a fullback. Yep. Um, so that was something that that and I he was, was great a- at it. Like yep. he's great at everything, but, uh, you know, his size, you know, he's not Patrick Ricard, but, you know, fullbacks usually aren't 300 pounds. He's actually quite yeah. typical for a fullback. Very effective. Yeah, the one the one thing where he, he kind of cost himself playing time, but that's okay because he needs stylistically different players is, is his inconsistent pass blocking has been an issue at times, and he didn't help himself really this year. And you know, one of the things – it's very tough to kind of look at PFF grades and get any kind of a sense of whether a guy's a consistent pass blocker when he's getting two pass blocking attempts per no. game. Yeah, no. And, and, and so he goes two for two. He looks great. If he, and he goes one for two. He looks terrible. And you really don't have a sense of that over many games and to, other than to say, well, he only had one bad game and he's got a 50 overall grade or something. Right. And, it's because that's that you know, <laughs> that's how that goes. But uh, uh, but Gus, I, I think you know we saw some some difficulty. He likes to cut block a little too much. Hill, despite being a smaller man, doesn't use as freak as frequently. Go to the cut block uh, and is better at, at at finding that center of mass and still stopping a, a larger man a lot of the times. Uh, Edwards just uh, unfortunately. It, it's not been his thing. It's unfortunate because he's obviously been really good at finding space for Lamar late on plays, as we saw, you know, with the 80 yard play in particular this year. Right. So do you, so uh, contractually uh, Gus has a void year in 2024. Mm-hmm. Do you, and he turns 29 very close to draft day. Uh, I am extremely, extremely ageist when it comes to running backs. 
uh, to the point that I've lost some fantasy football leagues by like missing out on Tiki Barber's great late career season and stuff like that. Uh, so I'm very much in the in the move on from a guy too early, sometimes to my detriment. And that's a long wind up to ask you, do you bring Gus back? Yeah, I, I was going to ask you the same thing, but uh, it, it is something that uh, I think the Ravens have to consider. Um, if it doesn't work out, I think they'll find the other guy that that they need. Um, you know, one of the things that the Ravens have have sorely found out these last few years is not all veteran running backs are created equal. No, and and Gus Gus Edwards is a good one, and a lot of the other retread guys are not. Are um, not. And, and I, you know, could they just give the job to Dalvin Cook? who has been a guy who's certifiably been a producer but just had a terrible off year uh, playing between the Jets and the Ravens. Uh, you know, had one big play for the Ravens. That was nice to see. Um, part of you know, Another part of it is Edwards went through his mesh point growing pains in 2018 with a lot of fumbles, by the way, that weren't charged to him but went to Lamar. Same right. as Hill, Hill pretty much went through that this year. And and maybe over a, over a couple year period in, in in his case here, but the but the veteran backs they've they've brought in they either haven't been real good with the mesh point to start with, or they've had productivity problems even when they're good with the mesh point. With the one exception being Mark Ingram, who was really great with the mesh point and very productive in his in his uh, year with the Ravens in the first year of the Ravens. He was amazing that first year. Yeah. So I wonder did. Two things, I guess. Uh, I don't know Dalvin Cook's college career and if he has an option background in college. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe if he did, that might have increased uh, the Ravens' comfort level with bringing him in to begin with. Uh, but the second thing is that you mentioned um, kind of the uh, Gus and Dalvin Cook as being potential alternatives to each other for 2024. And that's very intriguing, but we have no visibility to what they've seen in practice. Like, I, I almost mm-hmm. think the Ravens. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. His coaches are absolutely know which one they want for 2024 right. uh, and we'll learn who that is over the next couple months. But, but we don't know as, as from what I can see. Right. I, I would agree with that. And we know more about Gus Edwards. So we're probably in a position to take a guess on, or, or at least to, to set a mark that we would put on that number. I, you know, to me, two years, 4 million, two years, 5 million. I'm okay with that. You know, two yeah. years, 4 million with 2 million of incentives to be earned. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, uh, but but I, I wouldn't want to see it be a lot more than that. And, and honestly, the Ravens have proven they can do it cheap. They, they really need to do it cheap somewhere. It needs mm-hmm. to be somewhere on the field where they don't pay the position a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I've made the point on another show. I'll just make it one more time here. If you want to be real credible in terms of what it means in, in terms of offseason, who you want, the first element of credibility needs to be. How is this affecting the Ravens cap and not just in the short term, but also in the long term? Dollars don't disappear. The, the Beckham dollars are just coming due now, for example. Um, you know, but what do you mean? It was only three million or whatever he played under the no, cap wasn't. this first year. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a hell of a lot more. And yeah. uh you you you've got to be if you want to be credible, 
about people who who understand football, really want to get into roster building, talk about that thing. With, you, come with an understanding of the cap. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just come with an understanding of, of that. It's very important. And I'd say it's critical to me as a season ticket holder to see that cap managed carefully. Those cap dollars, effectively, my season tickets go to paying for those. And, yeah. and, and I, I don't want to pay for a bad product which means I want to pay for a levelized good product. Um, so that's my own personal bias in that regard. I could live with something else. I could live with a with a, with a tank year once every six years if that were the case, but I, I, I can't afford frequent years where – uh, you know, basically, I'm sitting on tickets. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to go to the games other than me and Maureen. And and you know, I, I just that's not the life I want to live. So I. I, I so you're saying to have a good game. So you're saying we're not going to see Christian McAllister or McCaffrey on the on the Ravens this coming season? Yes, that that would be uh, trading for him. And and uh, you, you'll find that trade is out there somewhere on Twitter. The yeah. Ravens make it happen. You know, a first round for Christopher McCaffrey. Who says no? You know, right. <laughs> the capologist says, yeah. ah, yeah. And it's always the capologist versus the capsologist. The capsologist is a guy on Twitter who puts it all in caps. Oh, right. <laughs> <Yes>. Nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Let's let's keep going here. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Justice Hill if we can. Yes. Uh, I thought really breakout year for him in a lot of ways. I, I, yeah, there's, there's no there's no gain saying it. I, I was actually surprised um, how. So I thought um, that I thought he was better last year. Honestly, I thought that last year the volume stats weren't there, but in terms of his play on the field, that was kind of the breakout that kind of let us know that he could be relied upon. And uh, so I thought when I pulled up his statistics to prep for this show that I would be slightly disappointed with his overall stats. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but last year I talked about um, combining yards per carry and success rate into like a an efficiency number. Uh, okay. Does that ring a bell? Uh, no, but tell us about it. Well, I, I just multiply yards per carry by success rate to get a and, and intuitively I think of it as the uh, what percentage of your yards per carry do you get to retain because of how consistently successful okay. you are. Sounds and, like a reasonable uh, metric. If you're looking yeah. for, for particularly for the people who want one single metric to try and measure things, yeah, he, he had a higher success rate last year, that's for sure. Yeah. So the league average is very close to two for that. It's like it differ it's like two point oh oh three something something or other. Um, and the Ravens running backs typically are high in that metric because, you know, of Lamar and Greg Roman's offensive line or play calls and their offensive line and, and whatever they're, they're rarely close to the league average. Um, Justice Hill was a 2.2 by that metric this year. So that's a 4.6 yards per carry and a 49% success rate. Now, both of those numbers are above average and the mm-hmm. 2.2 is above the league average, but it's not as much above the league average as Ravens running backs have been over the past few years. That's a really legitimate point. He's got more volume this year that you would add to Mm -hmm. that and also a much better receiving year. Uh, Yeah. Yes. And I, I, you know, the Ravens relied on him more as a pass blocker. I think he did maybe about as well as a pass blocker from year to year, maybe a little bit better this year. Uh, But, but the point being that since they relied on him for many more snaps as a pass blocker this year and Maureen score this and I score the sets and chips on every play. And we're, you know, seeing the the 43 M 43 unders and the, and the R 43 not unders, which is a chip block on the right side or a middle block that we set blocking. uh, Those are, you know, those are all over the sheets this year. So there's a lot more of him 
um, getting real pass blocking snaps. And by the way, this is just a procedural thing. I'm not I'm not bashing PFF for this at all, but they don't credit a pass blocking snap when the player subsequently goes out after a chip. Oh, yeah. They don't don't count that. And you are disadvantaging yourself as a receiver or the the offensive coordinator is disadvantaging that receiver uh, into a less a, a lesser set of routes. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a chip block involved, so uh, you or know, you'll get open that- less quickly or, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, you're you're definitely disadvantaged as a receiver in those. Even if the offense as a whole is advantaged by your play, that's yeah. a gap. That's a gap for PFF. Uh, it's it's uh, it, you know it is what it is. But uh, uh, the, everybody does it a little bit differently, and yeah. there's good reasons why models different differ. So when sure, we, when I talk to PFF guys, I always say you know it's this is good when we see a difference between the way two models are looking at it because it's going to help us understand something about the game from it. Yep. So, um, so Justice Hill, I agree with you that he had a breakout season. He was uh, globally competent. He contributed in every area, but I thought that his increased usage exposed a small hole in his game, which is a very predictable hole in his game, which is that he's not typically the guy you dive up between the tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's, you know, doesn't have the huge frame. He doesn't certainly doesn't have Gus's power. Uh, and because he was, more globally used he got more usage in those situations and so i think that that is why my eye test perception of him was that he actually wasn't quite as good this year which is uh i think probably wrong given the other points that you've made it's just what it looked like and also why his success rate maybe dropped a little this season and i'm i i don't want to you know make that be any different from what it is i think it wouldn't be surprise me if success rates in general are higher under roman than they rushing. were here. Yeah, r- rushing success rates. That's what I mean. Um, uh, and so if if it still takes a lot of rushing successes to get down the football field, and that so the Monken offense, the, the, the predication is you want better explosion, you want more big plays to get down mm-hmm. the field more quickly. Um, so that being as big a part of your metric as it is, I still think to drop off from 59 point something to 48 point something is a pretty big drop off in success rate. Yes, indeed. But uh, uh, but I would I would also say he's probably also benefiting less in terms of first contact in level two. Uh, he has to probably being an outside runner. He has to do more of that himself um, yep. to get that. Keaton Mitchell was very, very competent doing it. He was less so. So Justice Hill is our only running back under contract in 2024. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, similar to that defensive line situation prior to camp. Uh, so they've got some things they have to figure out. Keaton Mitchell is. Not under contract, but he's in ERFA. The Ravens will re-sign him for whatever, but you made the point. He may not play at all in 24, or if he does, they can't expect much. You know, a slower ramp-up element in the second half of the season. I would assume they're going to try and sneak him onto the roster at the beginning, use an IRDTR spot on him, or or, no, actually, he might just be a PUP guy, right? You can do that. Yeah, I think that's more likely. Yeah, and then they they just have to wait. And there is a – I believe there might be a time – where they have to put him back on the roster from PUP. I have to think about that, whether it's week eight or something, he has to be back on by. And then the latest he can come back is week 10, or is that, that sort of oh, thing, okay. three-week window. So if you want him as an IR DTR, you put him on the roster to start the season, put him on IR, and you bring back week 13 if you want to. Um, and he could still help you down the stretch. So That would be my anticipation. I think he showed way too much to let him go and way too much mm-hmm. to expose him to waivers. Right. Uh, so so he's he's not going to be ready week one, but you can't. I mean, the, the talent was too tantalizing. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, this is a podcast and you can't see me make all these gestures with my hands and rolling <laughs> eyes and gasping. But yeah. yeah, he's 
absolutely incredible. He was a, I can't, he was a revelation. I, I, I'm losing adverbs and adjectives here. I don't have enough to. Yeah. It just, he was, he was absolutely terrific. And, and in, in terms of DVOA, he had the greatest season in the history of the NFL. Sorry, that's not true. In the in the DVOA era, which goes back to 40 years. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of running backs who had 40 plus carries. And I think the single stat I look at, he never had more than nine carries in a game. He did four, right. four games, we had exactly nine carries. But despite that, and you know, having some lower carry totals as well, he had at least a run of 21 yards in all six of those games. I, and, and the reason I come back to the game of Pater again, on all, all the running <laughs> plays, they didn't have all the yardage represented because you, the, the, the the least likely event on that is one in 216, the way the dice worked. But the uh, and that was you rolled a 19, that was one in 216. But the but the uh, uh, funny dice set, uh, I, I'll just say that. But you, if you have a um, uh, a B, if you got a B, then that became a breakaway. You rolled on a separate a table for how many yards that was. And that was all of the carries of 20 plus yards. And so Mitchell had, I think it was at least seven because he had two in the, in the first game against Seattle where he, where he went for 40 and 60, uh, just a, a, an absurd number of breakaway runs this year and, and made the most out of it in level two. And you know, what was great about Mitchell is it was broken tackle based. It yes. wasn't. Yes. He had he had shocking power. I couldn't believe. So he looks like a little back, and then you know he explodes through an arm tackle or something like that. He's not at all the player that he gives the impression that he's going to be. Yeah, I wanted to look up his his missed tackles forced, but he had eight. I, I want to say eight on nine carries against Seattle in that very first game. I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. <laughs> so it's he's just... he's like he's he's performing like Gale Sayers or something Hall of Fame ish. Like it's. Utterly preposterous. It's more like Jim Brown. Gail yeah. Sayers is, a, is an elusive guy. Jim Brown is is the guy who just run you right over and and leave a leg and make you miss a tackle that way. But his his MTFs for the year, he had eight in that first game, fifteen for the year, and that's on only forty seven carries. That's an unbelievable <laughs> rate uh, uh, to to get one almost every three carries like that. So uh, he'd have been up uh, at that rate would have put him up right up there with the league leaders uh, in that category. So uh, uh, remarkable game. Both the Pittsburgh guys were very good. Um, yeah. At at at, at MTFs. Uh, you know, one of the other things Mitchell really gave the Ravens was a lot of really high danger on draw plays. I really love oh, yeah. the way they would run Miles Garrett out, and you can you, you you have multiple options there. You can hand the ball off once he's run himself too wide on a play. Any and this goes for any pass rusher, just not just Miles Garrett, but there's a lot of people trying to get by Ronnie Stanley this year and take advantage of that weakness. Well, the way to, one way to slow them down is with the draw plays. They did some to Hill early on in the year. They did more to Mitchell when he became available, and he was just he was devastating. And Hill has a, had a lot of speed. You know, he came into I think he had like a four point. I think he had a sub four four forty when he joined the team. Uh, either that or was or was flat. He was a right. very he was one of the fastest running backs in that class in that draft. Yep, yep. I think I think it was four forty three, but I, we can okay. let other people look back on that. The guy who was under four forty was Duvernay at four thirty nine. So he was okay. Uh, yeah, really exceptional there. But he was um, flying right, and he was the fastest back in that draft. And and Mitchell was faster. Unbelievable. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else about Mitchell's season that you want to talk about while we're here? Um, you know, I, just, I, I, I want to sing a song about it, you know, <laughs> like I just, it's, it's crazy. Um, and I, and 
I I wish that he was poised to be their starting running back week one because that would be just so exciting to see. In terms of injuries to young players in Ravens history, this and the Lardarius Webb injury, not yeah. in 2012 was terrible, but but in 2009 in his rookie mm. year was terrible. And it took him really till 2011 to come back and, and be ready again. And when he did, he was the best cornerback in the NFL. Yeah. And that, that, that was so frustrating. And then, of course, 2012, he got hurt again. Webb's career, Hall of Fame career, derailed by injuries. And, you know, it's really difficult to say this about a UDFA back, but I think a very, very special talent has yeah. received a very significant setback yeah. um, in terms of what happened here. And of course, you know, we can't leave that topic without discussing my boy, Marcus Smith, the greatest wide receiver the Ravens ever go. drafted, who was cut down in his prime by an injury on special teams in a preseason game. Marcus Smith, no, no receptions ever for the Ravens, but drew an enormous pass interference penalty in the end zone against the Steelers in the 2008 AFC Championship game, which is the highlight of his career. Set the the most up. productive, no receptions receiver, yes. wide receiver in in, in, in NFL history. history, I would say. Yeah. Well, certainly in Ravens history, in terms of having yeah. a high leverage penalty like that. <laughs> uh, but that was that was a great one. I, I had an article I wrote a few years ago on on uh, uh, the other guys. It was about receivers who had one play. And like, Ernest Hunter had just one receive, reception ever for the Ravens, but it was a 23-yard reception on the game-winning drive in the 1996 opener. And it's actually hard for me even to get a still shot off the TV that was of any quality to have a picture to put with the article at the time. So a lot of fun. Uh, okay, J.K. Dobbins. Uh, let's talk about him a little bit. Obviously, 2.8 yards per carry in the opener. Um, went off the field with the Achilles problem, and then that was it. We had we really haven't seen him against. I haven't heard anything about whether or not where he's rehabbing with the team. Is he doing it? You know, in Baltimore, did he move home to do his rehab or whatever? No, nothing. Yeah. yeah. And and did he squander the goodwill with the Ravens brass with the offseason stuff, the preseason stuff, to the point where? You know, they weren't super eager to have him in town doing the rehab and the relationship is corroded. And, you know, because because often like a guy who has um, injured himself and, you, you know, the, you, you've seen the Ravens give like kind of a goodwill contract to, you know, work out with us this year and, you know, we'll give you a shot when you're healthy again. And and uh, I don't know. I have no clue whatsoever where the relationship stands to say whether they're likely to do that or not with yeah, Dobbins. He- and you know you'd never hear it from the Ravens because the Ravens no. are extremely well run in this regard, and they won't tolerate internal blabbing of uh, you know about players like that. But they they do get internally they get frustrated. Uh, I, yeah, I, I know I, I I do know that for a fact with individuals who you know obviously don't work hard in practice. That's one of the big no nos. But you know they also work through a very acrimonious offseason with Lamar where Lamar was, you know, t- took it to social media at one point yeah. and really was, 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 was talking about things. Um, I think JK Dobbins, you know, in a zoom call, I, I don't have a problem with him being on a zoom call. I just wish they hadn't said anything about it. I wish they yeah. just, you know, kept it to themselves about what was going on. Obviously running backs in general are upset about the market. You don't have to tell anybody else that, that, you know, markets, you know, players are going to hold in together even across franchises that's an old 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 trick from baseball days you know what, what people probably don't remember this but in 1966 before the season where the Dodgers lost the World Series to the to the Orioles both Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale 
held out together, claiming that neither was going to going to sign until they both had contracts that they wanted. They both got signed to contracts for over a hundred thousand, I believe, that year, which was unusual at the time. That, that, yeah, uh, they did. Can you think of? Can you name two more high leverage guys? Yeah. That's a, <laughs> and they did. Koufax went on win twenty seven games, and then fortunately lost six to nothing to the Orioles in that uh, in yeah. that big game in the World Series. Uh, all right, City. So, we- so I'm sorry. You mentioned um, players that Ravens have worked with through some acrimonious stuff. You know, you mentioned Lamar Jackson. Maybe more on point with um, with uh, Dobbins would be Ronnie Stanley, who I wouldn't call it acrimonious, but it was protracted injury return he maybe came back later than maybe they thought he was ready to come back uh you know and he um may have struck somebody uh, some people as sort of a diva about his comeback and uh, uh and i don't think that the relationship is sour at this point and i think he started playing some you know very well towards the very end of the year not so yep. much maybe in the middle of the year uh so so there are examples of uh turbulent injury situations where the relationship is preserved and for all i know dobbins is that case or he's absolutely not i I got no clue right bowser would be another one where yeah evidence is such that the ravens probably will not bring him back i mean i think that that that, that relationship may have soured and there's been other times as soon as harbaugh is willing to say something bad about the player you know oh yeah the, the end is coming soon and that was the case with tim williams a few years ago the pass rusher that they got from alabama who was uh, you know, a, a, a high talent guy just apparently did not have a really good work ethic. And there's been players that have sat on the bench for an entire season because of showing up out of shape or or with a bad work ethic. I go back to Bryant McKinney, basically sitting out for the whole season before the big triple switcheroo occurred going into the 2012 mm-hmm. playoffs. Um, you know, Ben Cleveland, in some ways, we're not exactly privy to where Ben Cleveland is. It may have just been a case of they had Zeitler at right guard and they didn't think Ben Cleveland fit at left guard. It could be that simple. Okay, but Ben Cleveland has not gotten an opportunity and he's also showed up fat and fat to the degree they had to publicize it on their on their roster for the whole season at 370 pounds. (laughs) And (laughs) and they're negotiating like an extension with Zeitler. Right. I saw a headline about that. So that that does not speak to like a huge willingness to throw Ben Cleveland into the mix, you know, as a starter. I, first of all, I have not seen that. It would be interesting if that were if that were the case. Um, you know, there, there's a number I want Zeitler back at. I'm I'm just not sure the Ravens can afford to do all they need to do, and, yeah. and keep Zeitler. It's a they've got a lot of guys who have to get paid this year. Yeah, and Zeitler looked to me last offseason as the as one of the guys most likely to leave after this this after 2023, just because of the contract situation, not because of any dissatisfaction with this play whatsoever, but just. You know the realities of the game. I do want to mention that uh, his wife Sarah Zeitler is a huge asset on social media. Her Twitter yes. feed is 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 great. She's a great follow, and uh, and and makes me maybe appreciate him more a little more. And you know, have some concern for the upheaval, the ne- the inevitable upheaval should the Ravens make a move there. I love some of the stuff when she she was actually I guess in the uh, uh, the, preparing to have a baby. Or mm-hmm. it might yes. have been after the baby was born, but but either one where he's practicing his past sets in the room. She's in labor. She's in that long stretch of labor before it's like super active where, you know, they're leading up to it. And she's like sneaking a cell phone video of him doing past sets in the hospital room. Amazing. Yeah. Great stuff. I mean, obviously, uh, Zeitler is who you want for the North Star of your line. I'd love to have him back if, if they could manage it. I just don't know if from a dollar perspective they can. Yeah. 
again, you know, want to be credible about about what the Ravens need to do for this coming year. Tell me where you're not going to spend money. Don't just tell yeah. me every A, a choice you have. It's kind of like being in marketing and everything is an A priority for the actuaries. Well, if everything's an A priority, nothing, nothing is an A priority. Is, yeah. You got to be also in any kind of financial writing. If you do that for a living, you got to be very careful with the use of the word significant. Mm-hmm. It's significant. If it's really significant, it's not significant if everything is significant because then nothing's significant. Anyway. So I had talked myself into late in the year, they the Ravens would benefit from making an investment at running back. And now that we're sitting in the cold, hard light of talking about the salary cap, you know, I would have to think that, uh, you know, they've shown that they can find late round and undrafted guys who are productive uh, they've got a void year with Gus, which maybe they could get some financial relief by actually extending him. Yeah. Um, you know, this this may not be the offseason to to see any real change in the Ravens running back room. It, it 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 could definitely be something where they where they I think I think Gus is is could well be the cheap option. You know, I, I yeah. don't think there's any, I don't honestly think there's, they're going to go out and sign anybody for more than what no, Gus no, no. might make. But uh, but I think they could go even a little cheaper if they went with all young guys. And and I I also don't really relish that as an idea. I, I'd like to have no. one one developmental player. Keaton Mitchell coming back from yeah. injury and and Hill and Hill and Edwards who did a wonderful job of sharing the snaps this year. Or Dalvin Cook, if he if the if the coaching staff has seen him and he's all that, and they're excited about you know his potential as a lead back for twenty twenty four, then yeah, I defer completely to their judgment on that. I, I and I'm okay to that, but all I'll say is he's he's one of many in the, in mm-hmm. that same group. Is that whoever they decide is the guy, I'm I'm okay with it. Um, and and a right player, right price. Dalvin Cook, Owen Wright, Melvin Gordon, Kenyon Drake, all had playing time with the Ravens this year, and they all did a, a, you know a little something. For the for the, for the team to help them, Owen Wright didn't actually play for the Ravens. He was active, I believe, for a game or perhaps even two as a elevated player. But I don't yeah. believe he got a single carry for the Ravens this year. Uh, he might have played some special teams. Um, so. so I want to make so I agree with you, and I understand the logic. Uh, I would like to make maybe this isn't an argument so much as an impassioned cry, but if you watched the conference championship games. You know, if you watched what Jameer Gibbs did for the Lions against the Niners in the first half of their game, you know, if you see what, you know, on other teams, if you see what, uh, what's the Rams guy's name? Kyron, Kyron. Yeah, Kyron Williams, right? Kyron Williams. Yeah. If you see what Devon Ashane, Ashan, I don't know how to say his name, does for the Dolphins. Achan, Devon Achan. You know, the, the, the. A difference maker at running back, and I'm not saying spend a first round pick on Jameer Gibbs, you know, or the next Jameer Gibbs, but a difference maker at running back like Keaton Mitchell. Well, that's even not a good thing to say because he performed at a Hall of Fame level in his brief, you know, right. stature. But but a difference maker at running back who requires defensive attention, and you know, like like defenses have to cheat to defend against Lamar's speed. You know, if Lamar's making an option handoff, you know that the backside defender is staying home and has eyes on Lamar. So if the defense is has to, to, to stay balanced one way, if you have a speed threat who has to make them stay balanced the other way too, you know, now you have a defense that's pulled apart horizontally. Com- completely agree, first of all, with that, that you want to horizontally threaten the line of scrimmage. And Roman's uh, offenses, that's what they did very, very well, is to is to threaten horizontally, stretch you out to a point of weakness, use their point of attack uh, size 
to yeah. get through. So a running back got into level two very quickly and then and then was off to the races, you know, a lot of time. And a lot of time it was Lamar Jackson who, who became yeah. a middle threat after the pistol went away and they ran mostly out of sidecar. I, I do think that, um, uh, you know, the Ravens will always benefit from a stylistic set of differences at running back. But maybe the, my counter to the impassioned plea would be this, that I think paradoxically you have less to gain from a great running back in this system than in other systems because Lamar Jackson is the force multiplier who makes everybody better. And any since any running back is going to be better – you know, making a, a a great back better, you you get a diminishing return on right. that because he gets two percent better rather than ten percent. Twenty, better or yeah, whatever. yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, you're 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 uh, you know, you particularly your yards after ten yards, it's mostly on the back to get those anyway. That's you know, mm-hmm. formula for ALR and things like that. Um, uh, uh, ALR that's adjusted line yards. Yeah, adjusted line yards from. So I'm not doing it right. It's ALY, isn't it? From from uh, from what you saw outsiders, outsiders, which yeah. is no longer with us. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, anyway. Uh, I I I you know certainly like that notion. I think I, I need to kind of close this out here. But we yes, did. We, we talked about Patrick Ricard some uh, using Patrick Ricard. I think as a receiver is something that the team missed a little bit in in this season. So it would have been something I think. You can threaten by having him on the field. When you have him on the field, you might be able to use him as a receiver as well. And his targets were down a little. Of course, his overall um, uh, time on the field was down some as well. So it's not really surprising. But he did have a nice 28-yard catch. It's just nice to have one of those every four weeks on the film where Ricard's making an impactful film and their advanced scouts are always getting kind of a look at that and saying, yeah, we're going to have to cover that guy too, damn it. I wanted to ask you something about so so we've talked uh, you've talked today about Ricard's drop off in snaps from 2022, uh-huh. uh, uh, but I wonder if 2022 is really the baseline, right? Because 2022, you know, all the wide receivers got hurt. Uh, Roman had, you know, all of his best players were heavy, you know, so he had to use uh, heavier formations. Um, you know, were Ricard's snaps this past season, much of a drop off from say 2021 or 2020. Let's go through the years. 2018, DT fullback, 13% of snaps. 2019 is when he first made his first Pro Bowl, 31% of snaps, 41% in 2020, 57% in 2021, 64% in 2022. So basically, throughout the Roman era, he increased every season. Yeah. And then down to 39% again, which is basically back down to the 2020 level. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he had, as recently as 2019, he still played 140 defensive snaps <laughs> and 102 special team snaps. So I thought he was you know, pretty good as a defensive player too. Yeah, not not bad. Kind of a kind of a penetrating uh, yeah. uh, defensive tackle. They would put on some passing downs, and and he did he did record a sack. So you know he he had his highlights there certainly. I uh, don't know how much how much longer Ricard is going to be a Raven. I think there's always a chance that the Ravens will try and go cheap there and de- try and develop the next Patrick Ricard. So find a UDFA defensive lineman, probably, who they think this guy has the athleticism, but he's a little undersized. We can make him into a great fullback. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that makes me hesitate on that is I thought that Munkin used Ricard very, very frequently to um, solve issues in pass protection. Sure. 
So, so you could do you could you could change it to be an offensive lineman, but you could also change it to be a defensive lineman because he's coming in. He, his his primary use there would be as an inline tight end, which is very similar to sixth OL, right? So I'm I'm not really talking about um, the type of player who would replace Ricard as making the case that maybe Ricard is still too valuable to be looking okay. to replace him because of all the different problems that he can solve for you. I, I'm I'm with you on that, and and I think you know. I think the team will keep Ricard next year. Yeah. He may be a player they, they go to and they try and negotiate a small pay cut from. Yeah. If they did it, they might do it by extending his contract with void years and, and doing that sort of thing. So it might even be Ricard is all of a sudden signed for two years with void years after that that make him cheaper mm-hmm. this year um, and maybe cheaper cheaper next year as well, but with some void money that, that they'll they'll have to pay down the road. So. so I guess we need to wrap up from a time perspective, right? Do yes. you see a... Uh, overarching future for the Ravens running back room, like 2024 and 2025, like what it's likely to look like. Well, for, for Mitchell will be there both years, I think. Um, uh, And, and I think that we'll see Hill back for next year. Don't, I can't predict his future beyond that because it's too, it's, he's now at a point in his career where things break down too quickly, but Hill is a valuable special teams player. And I think he could be a consecutive two-year contracts guy. It kind of all depends on how useful he is as a running back and what how other teams um, see that value. So if other teams see that value, I think it's less likely he stays with the Ravens. But you know, he, he does enough things pretty well with the Ravens that he really has value to the Ravens, whereas another organization may just say, you know what? I mean, he's okay as a running back, but we don't right. need him enough for that, and we don't need him as a pass blocker, and we don't know we yeah. need his kick returns, and we don't need his, his gunning. Uh, it's all of that. We don't want to pay extra for all these other things. Right. And so then uh, the third player is either Gus or Dalvin Cook, we think. Is that correct? Or I'd say Gus or the general pool. I wouldn't I wouldn't put Dalvin <laughs> okay. Cook at the top of that list. Yeah. OK. Uh, I, I think they need to add new blood, but not expensive new blood. You know, sixth round new blood, fifth round new blood, new blood, sure. UDFA new blood, something like that. Um, you know, you you you. You can't help but admire the fish that they pull out of that pool pretty consistently at that position. Would you, would you emphasize speed? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Me too. And 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 in in emphasizing speed, are you willing to de-emphasize size? Given you've already got a guy like Mitchell, who is a limited guy in terms of his pass blocking, who is a you know great threat. And it, with the UDFA, you don't really have to make the choice because you're, you're not investing draft capital in a decision. Right. And a seven, I'd say the same thing. My problem is I think the whole league is going to be onto the speed thing, and they're going to yeah. a lot of the speedy guys who are smaller are going to be more in demand in this coming draft. So you have to sacrifice speed at that level, right? Because if they're fast and they're big, they're second rounders or third rounders. They're not. Yeah, you won't get that guy. That you guy, won't guy. get that guy, right? So I would say, yeah, I would prioritize speed at the expense of size because um, Keaton Mitchell's not going to be available in the off season in you know OTAs, training camp, you know, week one. So so he's not the competition for that player. Yeah, you you can you can certainly put off that decision. You do need one between the tackles guy, and they are actually the much easier group. It's a much larger size and shape pool to yeah. draw from to find the you know whether it's Dalvin Cook or it's it's somebody else, um, you know, who could, who could do that. Yep. And then I guess the last question is, would you re-sign Dobbins for the vet minimum if you could? And maybe maybe put on your cap hat for a moment. Tell me, what's the most you'd be willing to pay for Dobbins in terms of base salary plus incentives? The number that you threw out for Gus is probably 
Um, we gave a contract to who was the offensive tackle that we knew that he was going to just be practicing and rehabbing before he became available to us. Uh, he played right tackle. Is it Fluker that I'm thinking of? Uh, DJ Fluker, I think he might have been ready pretty much right away. Just wasn't very okay. good. Um, I'm trying <laughs> to think of who, who, who you mean, whether you know, we're going back to somebody like Adam Terry. This is a, re- a relatively recent guy. You're thinking yeah. Of? Yeah. Lamar era guy. Um, uh, not so, Greg Snot or anybody like that. No, not. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. All right, it's too vague for me. But so my point is that he, it has to be vet minimum, right? Because he's not going to play, at, you know, for the first half probably of yep. of twenty twenty four. So if the Ravens love him and love his work ethic, which it didn't seem like they did last training camp, but maybe they do, you know, and 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 he seems to be a ferociously focused guy, then yeah, some kind of minimum workout incentive. Yeah, work out with us. You know, we'll give you a shot late in the year or early 2025. Do your rehab here. I could see that. I wouldn't throw more money than that uh, his way. Do you just wait till he's really ready to play if that's the case? If he's truly not ready to start the season, there's no reason to throw a contract at him in the offseason, in my opinion. You just wait, have him sign a contract in November or whenever he's ready, and you, and you bring him in at that point. Then you don't have to deal with the whole IR thing. Somebody else might get him. Yeah. But at this point, I don't know how concerned I am about that, honestly. I, he's, I, he's- I thought, you know, at the end of 2022, I thought he was a special player. I thought in 2020 that he was a special player and then the injuries happened. So, you know, if that upside still is there, which is a huge question, then, you know, I would want to make a little bit of effort toward him, provided that the relationship still exists. But if the upside's gone, then, you know, the the, the impetus is gone. The hardest thing we have to figure out about running backs is is when yeah. they might be done, of course. And and the Ravens have yeah. done a pretty darn good job about it and going cheap. And I do trust their judgment. So, you know, obviously we are leaving it in the sands because we had no part of this decision. <laughs> but but uh but as fans, this is something I trust them to do very well and yeah, make, me too. make difficult cuts and difficult choices at the position. But deep in my heart, I'm still making that impassioned plea. It would be nice to see <laughs> Lamar standing next to a real threat in the backfield. All right. I really appreciate talking football with you always, Jim. Uh, Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Well, so uh, I've been writing a column during the season about the Ravens pass catchers, but that is over. So uh, you can find me on threads, not quite as much on Twitter these days, same user handle and uh, on the RSR forums. Okay. Other folks out there uh, told you about my off season plan this year for historical uh, work is going to be, Uh, Once there was a player, so you pick that mid-tier player that you really like, um, that that you'd like to talk about that meant something special to you. Obviously, I'm not really looking for the greatest players in Ravens history. I'm looking for that next tier, why those guys meant something to you. And role player, just a special player. Maybe it was a special moment for you as a fan. Any of that's acceptable. DM's always open on Twitter. I want to meet some new people and discuss those players with you. And, uh, and we'll have some fun doing that. But get back to me as quickly as you can to reserve your player in that group. And we'll be scheduling these for, for the entire duration of the offseason, pretty much right up until camp begins. Jim, thanks again for coming on. Ken, thank you so much for having me. I always love doing this. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.